Um, new sermon series this week. We're beginning, and I'm always excited when I start a new sermon series. And I'm dealing with this summer cold and all of this stuff, and I'm like, oh, I hope I can get through. But you know what? The Lord's delivered. Uh, the, the worship team and our, all, we all gathered here and, and laid hands and prayed on, for me, which is humbling, uh, that experience. And, um, and I'm fired up. I'm ready to get into it this morning. Are you ready for the word? Yeah. All right. Uh, we're launching this new series, and I, I, I was debating whether to call it I'm in, are you in, who's in, excuse me, but I got a question for you this morning. Are you in? If you're in this morning, say, I'm in. You don't even know what you're in for. I love you guys. I'm in. Whatever it is, pastor, we're in. No, really, are you in this morning? Are you in? Like, I'm in. You know, if you're going to lunch sometimes after church, right, you're like, all right, who's in? Who's, Who's going? Who's in? Who's in? You in? I'm in. Where are we going? We're going there? Okay, I'm in. It's kind of a thing now. We say, I'm in. I'm in. But have you ever been in a situation where you say, I'm in, and there really is no kind of taking that back? Right? You say, I'm in, and then you figure out what the details are, and you're like, oh, I already said I'm in. Like, there's, like you're all in, and there's no like going back, no take backs, I'm in. You're like, oh, no. Like you all just said, I said, are you in? You said, I'm in. I didn't even tell you for what yet, but I'm in. A uh, quick little video this morning about how you can be all in, and you say, you know what? I'm committed. There's no option. I'm in. Some of these folks, once they've reached a certain spot, and you'll see like that one coming off, like, okay, you're on the edge, you got, you're, you're in, you're committed, there's no going back, there's no going back, these guys are in, yeah, this is extreme, these people are, once they hit that certain spot, they're in, look at this. I don't know this song. Tell me if I'm in trouble. I look at Ron like he knows. Look at this guy's all in. Here we go. There's no turning back. Once you take that step, right there, you're in. Like, who's in? Uh, I'm in. You don't have to be in there. You're like, okay, there you're in. Uh, who's in? Me. Oh. Yeah, look at that. He's in. Woo. Over the trees. Are you kidding me? He's in. They're in. Whoa. I mean, these people are in. They're in. Out of the tree. Oh. Oh. All right, let us bring us to the next one. So glad there was no swear words in that rap song. I have no idea. I listened to it on mute. I'm like, these guys look cool. I wasn't sure if, anyway, safe. Whew. Those people were in though, right? I mean, there's no, there's no option. There's no turning back. There's no, I mean, they're in. Maybe you think they were insane, right? Those people were in. But I'm going to talk to you this, this week and the next couple of weeks by using those two letters, in, I-N, as a prefix to the next several weeks' um, topics. Uh, and today I want to talk to you about one of the core themes of the scriptures and of the gospel, and that is you are invited. You're invited. You're invited this morning into God's family. You're invited. And I don't know about you, but one of the worst feelings in the world to me 
probably to you too, is to, to feel left out or uninvited, right? You feel uninvited. You might get on social media and see 12 people that you know at some restaurant and you're like, hey, what? I mean, I thought we were, you feel uninvited. Like, what about me? You got like one of these, oh man, I saw all these people. What do you mean you guys? Oh, I feel kind of uninvited. That's, that's, a, that's a crappy feeling, right? You're, oh man, they all went and they didn't even ask. You feel uninvited. There's an old story, and it's a preacher story. I don't know if it's true or not, but I'm going to tell it anyway. <clears throat> There's an old story <clears throat> about this, uh, this small church, small town church, right? It's like There's a church on every corner, and there's 12 people in each church. and Small town church, small little church, and they knew everybody that came in. They didn't get many visitors, and, you know, they would week in and week out be kind of the same crowd, the same preacher, the same, you know, folks, and maybe a little older crowd, but... No, it was still, they were still, you know, okay, they were doing fine. More of a maintenance kind of church, maintaining what they have and not really reaching out or anything, but, you know, different. That's why it was chocolate and vanilla, right? Some churches are like that. And um, a small town, they knew everybody coming in and out, obviously. And one day the preacher was, was delivering a message and, and someone came in the back door. And uh, it was a younger, younger lady, younger girl. She came in the back door, and uh, she didn't look like the rest of the church folks. You kind of know what I mean by church folks, right? You see them at the wedding. They're sitting at the church people table, right, at the reception. You know what I mean? They're at the gatherings. There's the church people. They're over there. <clears throat> this, this girl didn't look like the rest of the church people that were in there. She came in, and, you know, maybe the, the shirt was a little tight, and, you know, the jeans were kind of ripped, kind of in all the wrong places, right? And uh, your hair was kind of fixed differently, a lot of makeup on, and she came in the back of the church, and uh, she sat down in the back, and the whole time the preacher's up there preaching, and he's kind of like distracted, like, you know, who is this person, you know, what are the people in here going to think, and the end of the service comes, and, and the preacher goes to the back, and he's kind of saying goodbye to everyone, and this, this girl comes through, and <clears throat> she comes through, and obviously doesn't look like the rest of the church, and, and the preacher says, you know, um, glad to have you here this morning, um, uh, ma'am, and, and nice to see you that you would come visit us. Um, but, you know, um, you can see you're not kind of dressed like the rest of the crowd here. So um, we'd love to have you back. But, you know, kind of felt like maybe he should say something. So he said, you know, maybe, you know, we like to, to wear our best here at this church, you know, and to be, present our best for the Lord. And, um, you know, maybe next week, maybe you would go home and you would kind of pray about what the Lord would have you to wear if you were to come into his house and join us again next, love to have you back, but maybe just pray about what the Lord would have you wear, you know, in his house, kind of look around and the rest of us, you know, and she said, oh, okay, preacher, that's, that's fine. I'll, I'll do that. So the next week comes around, he's up there preaching again. And here she comes again. She came back. So she comes in the back door and, and same thing, same kind of outfit on, didn't change much at all. And she came in and, and sat down in the back and he thinks, oh man, I'm, I'm gonna have to say something again. You know, these deacons are going to have my head if I don't say something. So he's in the back, and again, they meet in the back, and she says, um, wonderful message, preacher. And he says, well, thank you. And again, thanks for visiting. I mean, really nice of you to come, come by this Sunday morning. And, um, you know, if, I, if you remember last week, I asked you to go home and, and really, really seek the Lord, right, and pray about what he would have you to wear in his house, you know, in God's house. And and she said, yeah, I, I know, preacher. And I, and I did some of that. He goes, would you do it again for me if you come back? So, yeah, yep, yeah, I will, preacher, I promise. One more week, same situation. He meets her in the back. And this time he's really like, all right, I'm, I'm a dead man if I don't say something to this girl. He, she keeps coming in here. All these people are looking at me like, preacher, you better say something. So she come, he said, now listen, again, thanks for coming. But I thought that we agreed that you were going to go home and pray about what the Lord would have you wear when you come into his house in our small little gathering, no one else is dressed. Like you, I thought we agreed you were going to pray about that. She said, well, actually, preacher, I did. I did pray to the Lord. And I prayed and I sought what he would have for me. And uh, I kept telling, you know, the Lord that I was going to, I'm desiring to come to this church and I feel you led me here. And the preacher's like, well, well, what did the Lord tell you? And she said, you know, it's funny because the Lord told me he didn't really know what I should wear, because he has never been to your church. You ever felt un, unworthy? You ever felt uninvited? You ever felt 
unwanted. I want to share some truths this morning uh, from the Gospel of, of Luke. Um, and one of the truths that we're going to look at this morning is, first of all, Jesus invites people that others reject. Jesus invites the people that others reject. That others overlook, that others uh, feel like they're not worthy, or, or that people feel like they're not good enough. Let me tell you this morning, that you're invited to the family of God because Jesus invites the others the ones that the others reject. And what we're going to do today, we're going to dive deep into a story in Luke's gospel, Luke chapter 7. And I'll give you the context in the gospel first um, so that you understand what's going on. It was about 2,000 plus years ago, and Jesus was actually here walking on this planet Earth in the flesh. Jesus was here walking around, and Jesus claimed to be God in the flesh. This was Jesus. That's the big problem that people had with Jesus back then. And people didn't know, should we believe in this guy, or is he crazy? Like, it's, this is a lot to take in. Remember, we have hindsight, right? We can look at the scriptures and think, why didn't they get it? Well, I don't know that we would have got it, right, if we lived back then. But certainly, though, almost everyone would have thought that if, if Jesus was indeed God in the flesh, then certainly he would be uh, in favor And he would find favor with the religious leaders of the day, right? They should be looking for the the Messiah. They should accept him. The Pharisees, they were called. Because the Pharisees were the most outwardly pious, visibly, quote, religious people of the day. They wore these flowing robes. They prayed long, eloquent prayers. And they had these elaborate tassels and elaborate, like, cleansing ceremonies. They, They were impressive spiritual figures, and surely they would never be around anyone that's lying or impure or unclean. They would always distance themselves from sinners, right? They would always, because they were the holy people, they were the pious. And surely if Jesus were actually God in the flesh, he would be for the Pharisees, right? He would be, you know what, I'm all in with you guys. Let's, let's go do this together. One day, a Pharisee named Simon decided to throw a party at his house. Now, a party that a Pharisee would throw um, is very different from a party that people would throw today. For, for example, they, they wouldn't be you know, out roasting hot dogs. They wouldn't be listening to the latest you know, Hebrew uh, rap songs. I mean, they would, it was very different, right? They wouldn't, it wouldn't be like this. But they would gather, when the Pharisees would, would have a, a get-together or a party, um, they would get together with kind of the who's who of the Pharisees, and they would put on, a, very much put on a display or a show, um, and they would talk about heavy, weighty, important, sort of impressive, pious things. It was kind of a, a public discussion where they would show off the wealth of their knowledge. Uh, they'd have this meal, right? And the meal would take place in what was known as the outer room of the house. And the outer room was sort of on the edge of the house, almost sort of like a porch, um, or, or an extension of the home. And they would be, it would be surrounded by this, this porch, and they would have the meal out there, and they would meet, and they would dine, and the, and the scripture says that they would recline in this outer room, and they would talk about these really important, heavy topics, and they would kind of leave the porch door open, or it might be open so everyone could hear. And the common, common folk would come from the outside and listen to these Pharisees sort of showing off, right, and talking about cultural trends and politics and theology and such. And, and people would come and listen. Why did people come and listen? Why were they fascinated by this? Well, you have to understand that there was, you know, there was no, there was nothing, there was no smart devices, there was no internet, there was no Wi-Fi, there was no something to, to watch on TV in the, in the evenings, there were no video games, no Netflix, no one could sit and watch, you know, like, they couldn't sit down and watch, like binge watch their favorite shows. This was their entertainment. They couldn't sit down and watch like the Real Housewives of Jerusalem. It just wasn't a thing. They couldn't. Is this thing on this morning? Is anyone awake? Is anyone tracking with me? But it was kind of like free first century entertainment, right? That's what this was. And what happens is that Jesus himself got invited to this party. And suddenly someone else came to this party that was not invited. And when this person walked into the party, it was the most shocking thing that a pious Pharisee had ever experienced. In fact, they hated every moment of it. And Luke 
tells us this in Luke 7, 37. If you have your Bibles, get there quick because we're going to go quickly this morning. He says, a woman in that town who lived a sinful life. Let me just pause there for one moment. Um, This is code language in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, living a sinful life. This is code language for uh, the town prostitute. That's who this was. Um, it essentially means that that's what this person was. She was the, she was the a, a sinful life. That's what they're t- talking about. So a woman there in town who had lived a sinful life uh, learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. Uh, that's Luke 37. Um, Luke seven thirty-seven. So imagine this, right? The Pharisees are sitting in this outer room in their pious meeting. And, and they're, they're, they're waxing eloquently, right, and talking about ontological ar- arguments of hermeneutics and pneumatology and impressing everyone that was there, I'm sure. And suddenly, a call girl walks right into the party. And every Pharisee gasps. They're, they're beside themselves, like, this is not part of the plan. This isn't right. She was not invited for sure. She's unclean, she's impure, she is a sinner, she's one of those people. And we don't hang around those people. She's unworthy, she was definitely not invited. And I want to pause for a moment, and and I want you to think about trying to get in the mind of this young, hurting woman, and try to imagine what it would have been like to be her. To be her. And what it would have been like. And, and I'm going to get sort of creative here and just kind of just let you think about what it would have liked for her to be her every day. And I can't prove any of this, right? But I would like to think that she made probably some wrong decisions, right? We can maybe agree with that. She's made some wrong decisions, unquestionably. And I would bet my life this morning... Now, we don't know this woman really in depth. We don't know a whole lot about her. But I would bet that she never dreamed of growing up with the aspirations of becoming a prostitute. I can guarantee you that she wasn't having a sleepover when she was 10 or 11 years old with all her girlfriends. And they were having a blast. uh, And they said, well, what do you want to do? You know, they're playing truth or dare, doing their dare and nails or whatever they're doing back then at the sleepovers. And they're like, what do you want to be? And one girl says, well, I I want to work at Amazon, obviously. One girl says, well, I want to be in real estate. One says, I want to be a doctor. One says, I want to be a YouTube star. And she didn't, I guarantee you, she didn't say, I want to be a hooker. That's what my aspiration. I guarantee you that this woman did not aspire to this lifestyle. She never said that. It's not what she wanted. So how did she end up there? How did she, if it's not what she wanted in life, how did she end up there? I mean, and this was not a profitable career choice, as it could be like in some big city, or it was a very shameful, dark, degrading thing. And I don't know what would have led her into this lifestyle. Did she have, did she have an uninvolved father? It was that kind of a situation, and didn't protect her from the wrong influences, and And maybe early on she made some bad decisions and those things kind of spiraled and she got in with the wrong crowd and started going in a bad direction and she ended up, or maybe even worse than that, maybe her dad wasn't uninvolved, but maybe she was abused. Maybe she had that going through her heart and her mind and she got confused and felt this deep sense of shame and and unworthiness and, and guilt. Even though it wasn't her fault, she felt this way and spiraled. And because of that, she maybe never became secure in her own identity Or maybe she ended up looking for love in all the wrong ways. Maybe her parents weren't around when she was young. Maybe, you know, in that day, people didn't live long sometimes. And maybe there was an accident on her parents and she was the only one there to take care of her family. And she had to figure out a way. And maybe one day, you know, the the siblings were upset and crying. And everyone's, I'm hungry, I'm hungry, we have nothing. And she found a way to make some money that she hated and despised every single day. But once she started, she couldn't stop. Maybe she felt trapped. I don't know what it was. Maybe she got involved with the wrong crowd, the wrong people, the wrong man. We don't know for sure, but what I do know is that she never wanted that lifestyle for herself. And what I do know is that everywhere she went, every single day, 
men would use and abuse this woman, and women would have glared at her so hatefully, scorning her every single step of the way. What I do know is that she would have felt very unloved. She would have felt very ashamed, and she never, ever, ever would have felt invited anywhere, anywhere safe, and anywhere that mattered. What I do know is she might feel like a lot of us feel, not good enough, guilty, unworthy, guilty for where we've been and how we ended up where we are today. You might think, I never thought I'd be in this place. Pastor, I never thought I would be, and you fill in the blank. Maybe you never thought you would be divorced, never thought thought you would be filing bankruptcy, never thought you would be wondering where your next meal's coming from. You never thought you would be not in contact with one of your own children. You never thought you'd be in this place you are today. She felt very uninvited. So what does she do? This woman walks into the Pharisee's party. She makes a beeline right for Jesus. And she falls to her knees in a posture of worship. And this is very symbolic. And follow me on this scripture and how it walks us through. She falls to her knees at the feet of Jesus. And then she breaks open a jar of perfume. And pours it on Jesus' feet. Why was this so significant? What does that perfume have to do? Well, I I can't tell you how significant this was for a couple reasons. Number one, this was her most valued possession. If you will, this is how she, she advertised her business. We learn in the scripture that perfume is actually very rare. Almost no one could afford perfume. It was definitely a luxury. And the value of it would have been, it says in the scripture, about a year's worth of her salary. That was her nest egg. That was her savings. Not only was it valuable financially in in, in and of itself, but in many ways it was actually a symbol of her future. Because perfume was kind of like your business card in her profession. It was your advertising. Because normal women couldn't afford to wear perfume. It's, It's definitely a luxury item. And so if you were wearing perfume in that day, you know, and walked by a gentleman, he would think, oh, all right, now I get it. You smell this perfume. It wasn't something you smelled all the time. But it was her form of saying, you know what, I'm for sale. And so what does she do with this, this perfume that she's holding? In one glorious single act, she simultaneously extravagantly worshiped Jesus and was symbolically repenting of her old lifestyle. Saying, you know what? I'm going to give away my most valued possession, that which represents my, my, my everything, my calling card, my future, everything that I have. It's the best that I have at this moment. And I'm offering the best that I have to Jesus right now. And symbolically, I mean, I get goosebumps thinking about this. She's kneeling at the feet of Jesus and she breaks open her most prized possession. And in that moment, she is worshiping Jesus the only way she knows how. It's not canned, it's not rote, it's not the same as it always was. She came in and gave everything that she had in worship. Verse 38 tells us that as she stood behind him, uh, as she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she couldn't stop her crying. She began to wet his feet with her tears. Imagine she was crying and worshiping and at his feet, and his feet were wet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair and kissed them and poured the perfume, every drop, on them. She couldn't stop the emotion. And she was just crying and emotional. And then she wiped the feet, her, his feet with her hair. Now, let me, let me pause for another moment and tell you the significance of this. See, Jewish women would never, ever, ever unbind their hair in public. I mean, it was always up and it was always, you know, it, that was what they did. They were instructed 
that that's what they did. And so she's just overcome with emotion. She's worshiping Jesus and doesn't have a, a towel. And she's, oh no, I just cried all over his feet. And, and now that, and she takes down her hair and wipes his feet because she can't contain herself. It's just so much. She can't contain her love and her adoration and her worship for the Son of God. In verse 39, it says this. The Pharisees were beside themselves, right? When the Pharisee who had invited Jesus, that's this Simon, when Simon the Pharisee saw this, watch this, he said to himself, notice he didn't say it out loud, right? He just sort of had it in his mind. He said to himself, if this man were truly a prophet, he would know who's touching him. Not like her name, not like he would know that it's this woman. He would know one of those people is touching him. And what kind of woman that she is, the scripture says, that she's a sinner. In other words, Simon thinks that the fact that Jesus is letting this prostitute touch him proves that he's not the son of God. He could not be a prophet. And then Jesus gets a little bit of an attitude, a little bit cocky, and I love this. And he basically responds, oh, okay, Simon, I'm going to tell you. Because remember, it says that he said to himself, he didn't verbally say this stuff. He was thinking it. Jesus says, well, why don't I just read your mind then, Simon? And Jesus speaks to him, and he says this, all the way over in verse 44. So he turned toward the woman and said to Simon, you see this woman, Simon? I came into your house. I could just see, I mean, Jesus was like, had this. I I can hear it. You see this woman, Simon? I came into your house. And you didn't give me any water for my feet. But she wet my, my feet with her tears. And wiped them with her hair. Simon, you didn't give me a kiss. Now that's not emphasized in the scripture, but I think it should be in bold italicized. Simon, you didn't give me a kiss. That's how they would greet each other with a holy kiss, right? Simon, you didn't give me a kiss. You didn't do anything. But this woman from the time I entered, has not stopped kissing my feet. Simon, you you didn't put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, Simon, I tell you, her many sins, yeah, she's a sinner, her many sins have been forgiven, as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little, loves little. And Jesus looks at this hurting woman. Remember, he was looking at her and talking to Simon. And now he looks at this hurting woman. And I can just see the love of Jesus and everything that he has in his eyes. And he looks at this woman and he says, your sins are forgiven. You are whole. You are new. You are white as snow. Here's a question I'd like to try to answer. Why did this woman risk so much to be at the feet of Jesus? Think about it. Why would she risk so much? Why does she apparently rush across town when she heard Jesus was at this party and she walked past these men who might have even propositioned her or even mocked her? Why would she have gone through to the porch where the common people were who would have whispered, hey, look, there she is. The parents with children, don't don't look. She's one of those people, children. Stay away. Why did she risk going into the house of a Pharisee, one who wouldn't have walked on the same side of the street that she was on? Why would she have ignored every other person in the room and gone straight to the feet of Jesus? The text doesn't tell us why. But I can tell you what I absolutely believe. What I believe is she must have somehow, somewhere, experienced his unconditional love and indescribable grace. Certainly she must have seen a miracle, she must have heard him teach or sensed his divine nature. In fact, let me tell you what I think happened, because this was Jesus who was now in her town. Jesus is in her town, she probably heard him speaking. She probably heard him preach. 
My guess, it might have been even that same day, because in the urgency of her nature to break into the party where she knew that Jesus was, if it was that day, what message did she hear if it was that very same day? Well, Luke doesn't tell us directly, but Luke does tell us that on that day, the disciples of John the Baptist came to question Jesus. So when you read the Gospels, you can see the parallels. And Matthew's Gospel tells us that the very same story about when John the Baptist's disciples came to question Jesus. And on that very day, which would have been the day that she came to the party of the Pharisees, Jesus gave a message that day. And what was his message? I'll summarize it and then I'll show you the message. The summary of the message that Jesus gave that day is that perhaps this woman even heard. Maybe she was in the crowd way in the back because she was too ashamed at that point to be up close. The summary of the message is that you are invited into God's family. That's the summary of the message. You're invited. You're welcome. You can come as you are. The message that this woman possibly could have heard if she were there in the crowd that day, that day that she broke into the house of the Pharisee, is the exact message that she would have heard the Son of God proclaiming earlier in that day when Jesus said, you're invited. In fact, it's found in Matthew chapter 11. And we've talked about this verse very, very recently. Matthew eleven twenty eight. This is the message that Jesus was preaching that morning, that afternoon, before this party happened, after the John the Baptist's disciples came to question him. He said, come to me. What does that sound like to you? That's an invitation. Come to me. You're invited. Who's invited? Who's welcome? He said, come to me all, you who are weary and burdened, and I'll give you rest. Can you just feel his love in that moment? Come to me, those who are wrecked and overcome with guilt. Come to me, those who are burdened by shame. Come to me, those who are tired and sick of trying. Come to me, those of you who think you're not living even up to your own standards, much less living up to where God would have you to be. Jesus says these three words, come to me. Those who have been rejected again and again by people. Come to me, those who religion has turned away. Come to me, those of you who didn't have the right clothes to wear to church. Come to me when you feel like you've got nothing left. Come to me, he says, when you feel like you've lost all hope. He says, come to me when everything in you feels desperate and you don't know if you can go another day. He says, come to me when you're weary. Come to me when you're overwhelmed and burdened and I will give you a heavenly rest. Jesus says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls. Jesus says, you're still invited. You're welcome in God's family. Jesus, my father sent me to tell you that he loves you. That's why I'm here. He says, you're invited. Come to me. That's an invitation. And it's really important that we understand this because I want you to notice that the, the fact that this woman's sins were pointed out to her didn't lead her out of a lifestyle of sin. The, the fact that the Pharisees would say, well, this woman is not, They're pointing out her sin every time they can. See, judging her lifestyle didn't change her lifestyle. Shaming her for what she did didn't set her free from her painful past or her present. What was it that changed her? It was an invitation to know that the Son of God, to experience His grace and His goodness, His love, His freedom. It was the invitation that Jesus gave to her. That's what changed her. Not calling her out, not making her an example, not shaming her, not pointing out her sin. Jesus didn't come for the healthy. The Bible says that he came for the sick. Jesus didn't come for the proclaimed righteous. Jesus came for the hurting. He came for broken broken and repentant sinners. And Jesus says to you this morning, you're invited. You're invited. Come as you are, come now, come quickly, come and know my grace. It doesn't matter 
who you are, doesn't matter your profession, doesn't matter your sin, doesn't matter your shame. He says, come to me if you've ever felt unwanted, Maybe you feel like you failed. Maybe you've even doubted God at some point. He says, come to me. Maybe you feel like you've been hurt or abandoned or whatever it is your situation is. He says, you are still invited. Come to me. You're invited. Come to me if you feel ashamed. Come to me if you feel unworthy. Come to me with your doubts. Come to me with your addictions. Come to me with your hangups, your baggage, whatever you have, your past. Come to me with those things that other people don't like, that other people don't want to see. Come to me and I'll give you rest. It's an invitation. Come to me as you are, where you are. Come in every, come in every moment. Just come. Just come. Come with every kind of hang-up, every kind of doubt, every kind of insecurity. Come with everything that's holding you back. Come. Pharisees and prostitutes came to Jesus. And we're all equal at the foot of the cross. One preacher told me one time that the the ground is level at the foot of the cross. Pharisees and prostitutes are all invited. You just come. There's still room for you at the foot of the cross. Jesus said, you're invited. He said, come to me. There's another story. It's in Luke's gospel. Um, You don't have to turn there, but you can look it up in Luke 14. Jesus says there was a guy throwing a wedding banquet and it was kind of a reception, a party. And Jesus said that uh, the guy invited a bunch of people to come and come to the party, but everybody had their excuses. And they said, well, I, I, we just got married. Uh, we just bought a house. I'm, I'm just, you know, I, I just can't go. In our world, it would be, you know, I can't come. I'm so busy. I'm so tired. We got the big game this weekend. I can't be there. Um, you know, the state fair is in town, and we never miss the state fair. We got to go to the state fair, right? And we're going to camp there. We're going to live there. That's our thing, you know. We're going to go get fried butter and fried Twinkies and all of that stuff. It's the state fair. I can't come to your party. Um, You can be set free from the state fair in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. You can be delivered. But Jesus said, you know, this party thrower, the guy threw this party in in Luke 14 said, yo, come to this party. And they all said, we can't, we don't have time, we're not interested. So you know what Jesus said? He goes, you know what? Then you go out and compel them to come. Jesus said, "Go, go show them. Describe the party, describe my love, help them see what, what it is that my kingdom brings to them, my family offers And he said, go out and compel the blind, compel the lame and the crippled to come to me. If all those that everyone expects to be at my party don't care about the party, you go and invite the blind and the lame and the crippled. Why does this matter? Because in the the day when Jesus lived, if you had a problem like blind, lame, crippled, um, you know, people think that you really did something really bad to deserve that. And Jesus is saying, those that everyone else rejects, are still invited to my family. You go get the blind, the lame, the crippled. You compel those that everyone else despises, overlooks, rejects. You compel them to come into my kingdom. You feel the love of Jesus in this moment. And he says, everybody else that gets rejected, those are the people I want. If the people that are supposed to be here don't want to be here, then you go out and get the people that really need There's still room for you. It doesn't matter who you are, how unworthy you feel. You are invited. And as we wrap it up this week, would you stand this morning? And as we close, I really don't want this to be another message that you hear on a Sunday and it's all good and everybody goes home. I really, with everything in me, believe that you were to hear this and internalize this scripture that we read together. And there's so much there. I could probably preach for a year on this one passage. There's so much there with this woman coming and what it meant to her to bring everything that meant anything to her past, present, and future in that jar of perfume. And she directly went right to Jesus and poured it out. There's so much there. It's so deep. But the simplicity of that message 
is that there's room for you. There's room for you. Those that the world might have rejected, those of you that feel like you've been given up on, those of you that don't feel much worth, those of you that might feel like, I'm not a church person. I'm just not. Whether you're here in person this morning or you're joining us online, either one, if you've ever had that feeling of being uninvited or not included or, or not part of or not worthy, let me reassure you that you are invited to God's family this morning. You're invited. Jesus doesn't care about your background. He doesn't care about your shame. He really doesn't care about any of the stuff that you bring along. He died for all of that. He can make you whole this morning. Say, preacher, how does that happen? Here's how it happens. All you do is, it's really simple. Jesus said, come to me. (laughs) All you do is come to Jesus. That's all you do. His invitation is our invitation this morning. You come to him. Come to him. This is your opportunity. You're not promised tomorrow. This is your opportunity to come to him. Would you bow your heads with me this morning? As we bow in prayer and obedience to to the Holy Spirit and to ask God, God, what are you saying to me through this message? Might I reassure you this morning, friends, that the ground is level at the foot of the cross. Three words. More powerful words have not been spoken by anyone. Jesus said, come to me. Come to me. His invitation is just as relevant and powerful today as it was 2,000 years ago. He invites you to come to him. Begin a life walking with him. So as we close and as we pray, with heads bowed and eyes closed, nobody looking around, we don't want to embarrass anyone. But I definitely want to give you the opportunity before you leave this place to do just that. Come to Jesus this morning. Jesus may be someone that you know about, but you don't actually know. This is his invitation to you. And I know what you're feeling because I stood where you stand and Jesus called to me and I knew it. And you, you feel it, you know. You know that you know that he's calling you and saying, come to me, I'm right here. I read something this week that said, you know, it may have taken a long time to walk away, a long time to walk away from God. It it might have taken a long journey to walk away from him, but to come back to him is just one step. It's one step. And so I would say to you this morning, as we continue to pray and we're not going to stay here for, for all afternoon. We're going to pray and we're going to go. But don't leave this place. This is your opportunity to know Jesus when he says, come to me. It's your opportunity to live for him. So if you're here this morning and you say, preacher, I hear your message. I hear the scripture, what they're saying. I hear what this message is. And I felt unwanted, unworthy, ashamed, not good enough, singled out, rejected, uninvited. And I hear this morning now that Jesus is saying, come to me. You say, pastor, that's, that's the invitation I've been waiting for. I've been waiting for that. No one else has ever given me that invitation. In fact, most people have pushed me away pastor this morning I want to come to Jesus I'm at the end of myself and I want to come to Jesus this morning let me tell you something if you're here and you have that gnawing gnawing inside of you that says I need to come to Jesus because I know he will accept me just as I am and the ground is level 
you come to him this morning? Would you come to Jesus? As I said, we all have our heads bowed and eyes closed and we're not judging, we're not looking around, we're not gonna embarrass you. But if you say to me, Pastor, I know I'm not guaranteed tomorrow and this morning, I need this Jesus you preached about. I need this Jesus that I found out about in the scriptures that is calling to me saying, come to me. And I'm ready to live for him. I've been living for my, myself for too long. I felt unwanted. I felt, I felt rejected. And I'm ready to come to Jesus this morning. Don't leave here the same as you came in. If he's calling you, listen to him. If that's you this morning, just, just raise your hand, look at me and say, that's me. I'll know that's you because you just said, hey, that's me this morning. Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. If the Holy Spirit is speaking to you and you know beyond a shadow of a doubt that you know, and you need to come to Jesus this morning and live for him, just say, that's me. No one's looking. Just raise your hand and say, I'm, I'm, I'm in. I'm in. I'm invited and I'm in. Father God, you know the commitments that have been made here before you. Father, you know that many of us, Lord, have had this moment where we were realized that you mean I can I can come to Jesus as as beat up and beaten down and as scarred and as unworthy as I feel. Jesus, you say come to me. So, Father, we all come this morning. Whether it's for the first time, Lord, or God, maybe we just need to come and sit in your presence. (laughs) Maybe, God, we need to realize that the ground is level at the foot of the cross. And sometimes we have felt unworthy or unloved or rejected or whatever it's been. And God, because of that level ground at the foot of the cross, we can turn that over to you. Give you our burdens and everything, all our weariness. And you'll give us the rest, Lord. But your invitation shouts to us this morning, come to me. So, Lord, this morning we come. Those that have raised their hand this morning, God, come individually. And we say, Lord, would you bless them? God, those of us that have come together this morning, and we all come to the cross this morning and thank you for your grace and your mercy Lord would you change our hearts and our lives making us more Christ like from this moment forward God we will give you the praise and all people gathered this morning Lord waiting for your invitation to come and so Lord we come we give our lives to you this morning Lord Jesus thank you Lord for meeting us here today I thank you Lord for being in and out in and through this service Lord for your Holy Spirit doing what he does and God as we depart from this place in a few moments may we not depart from your presence Jesus we love you this morning we thank you for dying on a cross for us being raised again on the third day providing a way back to the Father so that we might live eternally with you. Father, go with us, and Lord, I pray that we would not depart from your presence. As soon as we leave this place, might people know beyond a shadow of a doubt, Lord, that we have been in the presence of you, almighty God. We ask for your blessing now upon these people, Lord. In Jesus' powerful name, and for his sake we pray. And the church said amen, and amen. God bless you all.